Okay, so what's next here at Quest is we're diving into the book of Philippians. And uh, the book of Philippians is a, a very um, kind of abbreviated letter, but in this abbreviated letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, there is tons of stuff in there for those of us who are seeking to follow Jesus. Uh, and so I'm going to approach this series in, in, in a unique way. We'll kind of talk about that uh, as we go forward. And what I want to do is I want to preach through the whole book of Philippians, and it'll kind of take us through the summer. Now, some of you are might thinking, man, it's going to be a long summer. Um, but then it's going to be an awesome summer. It's going to be great because the book of Philippians is a tremendous book, and there's a lot of different things in Philippians. So it's not the same thing over and over and over again. I know sometimes uh, I've heard people talk about uh, reading the book of Romans and studying the book of Romans. They're like, man, he just says the same thing like 15 different ways over and over and over again. I'm like, yeah, because he's teaching you. So, all right, so, but the book of Philippians is a little more abbreviated. It's a little easier to digest. And so we're going to kind of go through this together. It's going to be exciting. It's fun. I'm I'm looking forward to um, uh, what we're going to do here with the book of Philippians. So just so you know a little bit about kind of perspectives on this, all right? So let's think about this. Um, some of you in the room are seasoned followers of Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a long time. Uh, you're, you're deep into the Word of God. You study the Word of God. You, you, you pay attention to the things of God. You live your daily life with Jesus. Your identity is surely found in Jesus and Jesus alone, and, and you kind of get it. There's going to be some great stuff in this book for you. You're going to look at it from one perspective. There's going to be some of you in the room who, who are maybe like in the, in the realm of, okay, I'm a newer follower of Jesus, or I've kind of been there for a while, been part of the church for a long time, but I'm really starting to think that I need to go deeper, that something, something God is moving something deeper in my life, then this book is for you. You're going to be able to see some things in here, some richness of our faith that you haven't really experienced before, if you allow God to speak to you through it. Um, then there's going to be some of you in the room who are the uh, I believe in God, but I'm living my life as if he doesn't exist, the Craig Groeschel version of the Christian atheist. Somebody who says, I, I'm a believer, I believe in God, and when things are bad in your life, you post on Facebook, I need you guys to pray for this, but the rest of the time, stuff you post on Facebook doesn't point to a person who truly believes as if, as if God exists. Um, some of you are in that realm, and I know that's a, that God is doing something in your life, and that's the reason you're here. And so I don't, I'm not judging you, I'm just saying, let's be honest about where we are with this, about seeking God and finding the depth of who we really are. Um, I've talked to people who have been like, man, I've been in church all my life and I've never really truly got it until recently, and that's okay. Or I've heard people say like, look, I, I just don't know. I, I believe that there's a God, but I don't really go to church. I'm not connected to a church. Well, I want you to know if that's where you are and you're seeking that for the first time, we welcome you. We'd love to have you here. We're excited that you're here to explore what God is doing because we're all on this journey together. And so I just encourage you. Some of you in the room, like, you, you're just here, but you don't believe. Like, you're just like, I, you're a skeptic in the room. We welcome you. We're excited that you're here. We want you to feel comfortable as we go through this book. This is a great series for you to be here through to see, is this faith, is this thing called Christianity right for me? This is a great opportunity for you to explore that with us together. So um, we're going to dive in a little bit. So let's talk, uh, first of all, let's talk about the city of Philippi. So this church is located in the city of Philippi. So what does that mean? So sometimes we kind of get lost in, in, the, in the biblical world, and we don't have a good way to connect it to the physical world uh, where we are today. Philippi is located in modern, was located, located in modern-day, what is modern-day Greece, or the region of Macedonia during that time. And so the city was a very important city. It was founded um, originally um, early on in life, probably in 800 B.C.s, right? And so later, Philip 
Con, um, who was a great leader, right? Philip was a great um, kind of a warrior leader. Philip II comes in and he conquers the city of Philippi and he names it after himself. That's awesome, right? You can do that. I'm, I'm just conquered this city. I think I'm going to name it Paul, right? I mean, that's just how arrogant he had to be to say, I'm going to name this city after myself. So that was about 356 BC uh, that Philip comes in and he conquers uh, the city of Philippi and he names it after himself. And so what happens and then is later, Philip has a son by the name of Alexander the Great. You may have heard of him, um, great leader of the conquest of the Greek uh, Empire. He was the builder of the Greek Empire, massive movement in, in, in ancient history, man. This guy was just a bad dude. He used Philippi as a city for the conquest that he would go out and he was conquering the world around him. Philippi was kind of his base of operations for that movement and for that work that he was doing. Philippi also sat and was kind of located between Asia and Europe. So it was a strategically located city. So if you're a traveling merchant and you're coming through and you're on your way to Europe to sell your goods from Asia or vice versa, you might would stop in at Philippi. Philippi was a place of, of like a, a mingled place of a lot of different cultures would kind of come uh, in the place of Philippi. Philippi also later, Octavian, when he became emperor of Rome, he would take his uh, retired military leaders and he would sit them to Philippi and he would give them land there. So it kind of became the Palm Springs of, of the day, right? People would go there to retire and hang out and spend their wealth and enjoy their retirement. And so it was a, it was a very much by, by Jesus' day and by the day of Paul, when Paul is writing this, Philippi had become a very Roman city. It was very Rome-ish, uh, kind of like a mini Rome because of all the Roman leaders that were kind of settled into the area. A lot of scholars believe there's evidence to indicate that a lot of the language during Paul's time that was spoken in Philippi was not the Koine Greek, but it was actually Latin because the city was such a strong Roman base. And so this is a very non-Jewish place for the church to be, to be built, All right? So Philippi itself. So let's talk um, about um, the, the letter that Paul is writing here, this, this letter that we call the, the book of Philippians in the Bible. Um, Paul is writing this from prison. Now, a lot of the writings that, that Paul does is he's in prison and he's writing letters to the churches that he's founded or he's helped because when you're in prison, what else are you going to do, right? But, but write letters to people. And so Paul is writing a letter and most scholars would argue that he's sitting in a Rome in, I mean, a prison in Rome writing to this church in Philippi that he helped to found uh, and where uh, the beginning of, of the ministry of the church in Europe began in this place of Philippi. It was the first church in Europe it was the first place where the first person was ever baptized in the Christian faith was in this city. So this is a very important, very, very vital church to the movement of Jesus in the continent of Europe. Um, and so Paul's writing this letter uh, to this church that he loves probably around 60 to 62 AD, somewhere in that area. Um, so just so you know kind of where we're going. When I look at the book of Philippians, I've kind of broken it up into three main quadrants. And I think these three main quadrants that I have outlined kind of identify and help us to answer three critical questions for us as followers of Jesus. Number one is who are we? Who are we? Let's, literally, let's really get down and be clear about who we are as followers of Jesus. So there again, no matter where you are on that spectrum, this is going to be important for you to understand. So the question, the second question, the second critical question, I think, is what do we do, right? So it's one thing to know who we are. It's another thing to know what it is that we're supposed to be doing. So what does it mean? In other words, what do I do with that? 
And then the third critical question is, okay, well, how do we do it? Okay, we know who we are. We know what it is we're supposed to be doing. And the third thing is, okay, how do we go about doing that? And so as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, there's a lot of principles here that we can apply to our modern-day context and what we should be doing as a church as well. And so there's a ton of themes in here that really will apply to who we are. So um, the main point today is this, in this passage we're going to look at at the beginning of the book of Philippians, is that living the proper identity gives us the greatest path to personal peace. You see, I think peace is what we're all after. Peace is what we're seeking. And we chase after that through a lot of avenues. But I think once we understand who we are at the clearest, most possible way, I mean, Weston was just talking about it. We were singing about it. This idea that we are in Christ is enough, that we find ourselves in Christ and in Christ alone, and that is enough. I have decided to follow Jesus. Like, I give myself to being this follower of Jesus. And what does that look like for my life? That is the greatest pathway to peace. All right, so let's look together. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. If you've got your Bible with you, you can pull that out. If you've got uh, your, your electronic device, as long as you're not checking Facebook, it's cool that you pull that out. Uh, Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, this is the greeting we see in the, in the beginning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that, anytime you see that, it's very important. So that you may approve what is excellent and to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, there's so much in this passage. I'm trying to be nice to you guys. Because, like, I could literally probably take a year and a half and preach through the book of Philippians. But I don't want to lose you guys. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go to a little bit of a higher level, a little bit kind of a zooming over the top a little bit. Um, but it's going to be deep enough, I think, for you guys. All right, so key point number one is this, is that we, who are we? We are servants. Right? Do you understand that? that we are servants. What does Paul call himself? He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's identifying himself first and foremost as a servant of Christ. This is, this is foundational. In other words, everything else, church, that I'm going to write in this letter, Paul is saying, is going to be built on this foundation that I'm a servant of Christ. Everything that I'm going to read, everything I'm going to write to you, every instruction I'm going to give to you, every encouragement, every chastisement, everything that I'm going to do is going to come off of this foundation that I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And then he includes Timothy in that partnership of being a servant. Is this foundational for our lives? That I'm a servant of Christ. 
Think about what it means to be a servant, to, to choose to serve another, to be able to give yourself to the cause of another, to be able to submit your will, your a conscious choice to say, I'm going to serve another. Have you made that choice? Like, have you made that intentional choice in your life? I'm going to serve Christ. I think a lot of times we find ourselves serving ourselves. And we, we include Christ or we include Jesus when it's convenient for us or when we need something from him to accomplish our task and our will and our agenda. But we're not really serving Christ. We're asking him to serve us when you do it that way, if you think about it. In other words, if you only approach Jesus uh, and you only approach God in the moments of greatest emotional or physical or financial or whatever it is need in your life, if you only approach him in that way, you're asking him to serve you whenever it's convenient for you. But if you're approaching somebody as a servant, you're going to be seeking them out to find out what you can do for them on a regular basis. You see, a servant's mentality is totally different from the one being served. And how do we know like, what it looks like to be a servant? All we have to do is look at the life of Jesus. How did he live his life? This is literally God in human flesh, and he's getting down on his knees, washing the feet of his followers. This is the kind of king that we can serve, right? God himself hanging on a cross, taking our sins and the burden of our sins, dying so that we might have relationship with God through our faith in Jesus. Like this is the, the total like giving of oneself for somebody else. And we're called to serve in that way. So we have this model of what it looks like to truly be a servant. Paul is saying that this is foundational for everything about his life. And let's think about Paul for a minute here. So Paul, if you don't know Paul's story, I'm going to tell you that just very briefly. All right, so Paul began life as a man named Saul, and he was born in the city of Tarsus, grew up in the city of Tarsus. He was born into a Jewish family. He was also born as a Roman citizen. He studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the great scholars of their day. He was somebody within the Jewish leadership group. He was growing in his prominence in that, and so he was somebody. He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee according to the law. In other words, Paul looked at himself early in his life as a Jewish somebody. He was a big deal. He wanted to be a big deal. And he believed in the law of God and the pathway and the nationalism that goes along with being a Jewish male. And so when this Christian movement began, Paul hated everything about it. He was passionately pursuing destruction of this movement that would challenge all the things that he held dear in his heart, this law of God, the Jewish leadership structure, and everything that it said it, life was supposed to be. Jesus was an affront to that in his mindset, and so he began to attack those who were following Jesus. The Stand series that we just did before we did the Easter series, if you'll remember that, when Stephen was martyred, it said that the people that were throwing the stones at Stephen laid their cloaks at, a, at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he's standing there as Stephen's getting murdered as the first martyr of the Christian faith. And then he gets letters and he goes on the, on the road to Damascus to try to find other Christians that he might have them persecuted and thrown in prison. This is who Saul is. And so he goes from this person who's persecuting the church, he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything about his life changes from the inside out. 
he goes from serving the law and tradition to serving Christ. I don't know what it is in your life that you were serving before you started following Jesus, but are you still serving that? Or have you laid it all down for Christ? Because he laid it all down for you. So let's think about this a little bit. You cannot be a servant when you feel with pride. It's impossible. You just can't be a servant and be filled with pride. You can't be a servant and be filled with selfishness. It doesn't work. Those two things don't go together. You can't be a servant and be a practicer of manipulation. Manipulation is such a clever thing. It happens very subtly. Some people don't even realize they're being manipulated. But you can't truly, like, in other words, sometimes manipulation looks a lot like I'm serving you when I'm really, all I'm doing is manipulating you. And I'm, I'm using kindness in your direction to get something that I need or I want out of you. Just to give you an example, like we got Photoshop in our world today, and you can manipulate images to make them look like something that they're not. Right? And some people who are really good at that can really create some really interesting and intriguing images that make us think something is there that's not there. Manipulation is the same way. And so when people are manipulators, what you'll find is they'll invest in you as long as you're give, giving something that they need. The moment that you challenge them or the moment that you say, well, I just can't give that thing anymore, and you decide to put a boundary around that, then they go away. Or you become the enemy. And you're no longer in. And so those are manipulated. So if you're one of those people that let's examine our motives of kindness and love towards others. Is it truly just so I can be loving and kind to somebody or is it because they can give something to me? Let's think about that. Like, like in other words, to be a servant means you can't be involved in manipulation and you can't be involved in negotiation either. In other words, I'm not negotiating with you that I'll do this for you if you do something for me, or I'll give you this if you'll give me that. That's not what faith is about. That's not what you can do as a servant. Like you can't say to Jesus, look, all right, I'm going to go to church at least twice a month if I get this promotion at work. And people do that, right? And there are people within the Christian world who will say, if you give this much or if you do this, then God will do this for you. Quid pro quo. In other words, I give so I get. I give so I get. I serve so I can receive. That's not what's happening here. Paul says, I'm a servant. Paul gave up everything for the cause of Christ. The people that used to think Paul was something and was headed somewhere now don't like him anymore. Now they think he's the enemy. He gave up everything to serve Jesus. So number one, we are servants. Number two, we are saints. Paul says, I'm writing this to the saints in Philippi and the overseers and the deacons. In other words, this idea that this is the church family Paul's talking about. In other words, the overseers or the elders of the church or the leaders of the church, those who were given the, the, the Greek term, their idea is that they were the rulers of the church. And then the deacons were those, the diakonos is the Greek word there, which literally means servants, those who were serving the church. And so this dual role of those who were leading and serving the church along with the saints. And the saints, I mean, some of you may be from Catholic background, this idea that, that sainthood is something to be anointed 
rejected by the church. Well, really, if you read Scripture, the Scripture is indicating that all those who were following Jesus were saints. Like it was not not an office of the church. It was a designation for those who were following Jesus. And so this, this Scripture indicates clearly that if we're following Jesus, we are saints. We are no longer sinners. Now, yes, we do sin. Even as members of the church, even as followers of Jesus, we'll struggle with that. But we're not sinners. We're not labeled as sinners anymore. We are righteous under the righteousness of Jesus. And so as saints, we have this purity. And we understand our identity is in Christ. There's a famous painting called The Son of Man by Rene Magritte's. I'll say that like that because I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, um, he's French, obviously. Um, and he wrote this painting, this painting of himself. It's a self-portrait, but instead of his face, he actually literally put an apple there in front of his face. And it's, it's an interesting kind of idea on, on what is our identity, if you think about it. Like, what, what is it that defines us as people? Is it our face? Is it our appearance? Or is there something more? Is there something deeper there? Are, are we a saint In other words, when people see us, what do they really see? The cool thing is that what we know is that when God looks at us, he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus as followers of Jesus. Those of us who have chosen to be servants of Christ, we receive his righteousness imputed on us. And so the beauty is that we don't don't stand before God in the nastiness of our sin. As followers of Jesus, we stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus. And that is amazing. That really is amazing. Paul is saying that we're saints. Key point number three is this, is that we are partners, right? Paul literally says grace to you in verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. For you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. You see, we are partners in the gospel. You see, there again, that's indicative that we are supposed to be doing something together. You know, we're just not attending services together. Like there's something we're supposed to be doing. Like there's there's an action point for us as followers, as the church, as the gathering of saints. There's there's a purpose in our existence together. We are partners. And a partnership in its deepest way, like it breeds these familial emotions, these emotions of love and devotion and yearning. Like, I want to be with you. I want good things for you. I pray for you. Paul is pouring out his heart for these people, and he's deeply expressing his love for them because of their partnership in the gospel with him. Understand Paul's perspective. He says, look, I'm, I'm a servant of Christ. Paul went into the city of Philippi where there was nobody who had even heard the name of Jesus and began to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he founded a church on those who would believe in what he said. And he established leaders in that church. And then he left, and that church is flourishing. Like Paul, Paul is passionate about these people. Like they, he's moved by them because he understood that they joined him on mission for the gospel. They are partners, 
surrounding the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and he's come to set us free. This is foundational for Paul. And so his passion for them is because they were working together to accomplish the same thing. That's what we talk a lot about uh, being on mission here at Quest. And like, we're on mission together, and so we, we do that for a purpose. In other words, some people might say, well, well, what about us becoming a family together? Well, my firm belief is that if we're working together to accomplish the same thing, we become family. If we're rubbing elbows with each other, putting our hand to the, to the work of, of sharing the gospel, ministering to our community, loving those who are in need, helping the lost and broken see a new hope and a new purpose in Jesus, when we're doing that together and working or, towards all the things that help us accomplish those things, together we become a family. Our love for each other is founded in this partnership that we exist in. And so it's, it's really like some people will say when they're new to the church, well, how, do I, how do I get to know people? Get, get, get going, get involved. You know, I've, I've met people recently in our church, and they've, they've gone to multiple connect groups in our church just so they can get to know people, get involved, figure out what's going on. How can I plug in? I know sometimes the summer is a little bit difficult time because we don't have quite as much going on, but if you're new to our church, like, find a place for you to plug in. Come and talk to me. I'll try my best to help you. had a great question right before the service today about, hey, I want to serve. I want to get involved. I need you to help me figure out how to do that. And we'll, we'll gladly help with that. We'll try to help encourage you to figure out how it is that you can plug in to help us on mission. It's not just about attending the service. Like, we are partners in something. There is, there is a goal. There's a place that we're heading together. There is a destination of the gospel that we're all called to. Paul says, man, I love you guys. I've been praying for you guys. Um, let's think about this. Paul is saying, if we, if we understand this a little bit deeper, right? He says, and I'm sure that this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That's a clear indication that God's doing something in you. He's doing something in me. So when Paul writes this letter, he writes it with the intention that one of the leaders of the church is going to stand up in front of the whole congregation, however many people that is, we don't really know, and he's going to read this letter. And they're all going to be anxious and excited to hear it because this is from Paul. This is from Paul. Paul loves us. This is from Paul. And so when, when they hear this, like they're hearing it as a, as a personal letter to them. And so when Paul says, like, we're partners in this and that God has begun something in you, he's begun something in you individually, he's also begun something in you collectively. And so God is doing something in your life. I don't know what it is. I know for some of you what it is. I know for some of you, God, God has, has put you in new places of, of calling, new places of leadership, new places of opportunity. I know in, for some of you, God's beckoning you to him for the first time, and you're feeling things, and you're thinking things, and you're exploring things that you never had before, and God is doing something in you. And if God's going to do something through you, he's going to first do something in you. And sometimes he's going to do something in you while he's doing something through you. Some people will say, you know, well, I, I can't do this. Well, have you tried it? See, maybe God will awaken something in you that you didn't even know was there. One of the things that, that um, 
has formed my understanding of, of developing leaders is I, I began to study uh, the, the, the growth of Joshua as a leader. Like, how did Joshua go from being one of the tribal people um, in the movement of the Exodus to being the man who would lead the whole nation of Israel in the conquest of the promised land? Like, how did that happen? How did he go from birth to this? How did he go from being, you know, Hosea to being Joshua? How did, we, how did he transition? What happened? One of the key moments in his life in his development as a leader was when the Amalekites came against the people of Israel and, God, and, and Moses said to Joshua, he said, I want you to go choose for us men and I want you to go fight this battle. In other words, he said, I'm going to give you an army to lead and a battle to fight, and I'm going to stand back, and I'm going to support you while you go and you do that. And I'm going to equip you to make sure that you do that. And so he didn't say, here's this army that I've selected. I want you to go lead that. He said, I want you to go choose the army, and I want you to go fight the battle. You see, God was doing something through Joshua, but he's also in that moment doing something in Joshua. He's raising him up. So later, when Joshua would be appointed as the one who's going to lead the conquest, when God speaks to him and says, be strong and courageous. When Moses speaks to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous, there was a clarity and an understanding because Joshua had already proven himself to be both of those things and his willingness to follow. God is doing something in you, doing something through you. It's kind of like this, this beautiful painting. Um, some of you may know who, I know probably at least one person in the room knows this painting. Um, this, this is um, a beautiful image with multiple colors laid together to create one beautiful image, right? And it, it's breathtaking in, it, in some ways. Vincent van Gogh is the painter of this painting. You see, every single touch of the brush, every stroke of the brush, every dip into the color comes together to make something that most people would say is a classic piece of artwork. Every single thing coming together to make something that's beautiful. And that, to me, is what this is, this partnership that we have. Like, every single one of us is a brush stroke, is a particular piece of color that God has put together to create something. God will complete it in the day of Christ in us. All right, so we're partners. Last thing is that we're partakers. Key point number four is this, that we are partakers. This idea of, of being a partaker, um, uh, um, Weston actually read a passage of Scripture that talked about us being partakers together. Paul uses this theme throughout, and he uses it in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Peter also uses it in 1 Peter uh, 5, 1 through 5, and 2 Peter 1 through 3, uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. So this idea that we are partakers of grace together. We are, we are joining in what we're participating in together. So to partake means that I'm going to be a part of or I'm going to join in. And so Paul says that we are partakers of grace with him. In other words, we can be partners because we understand our sinfulness and our need for grace together. We can be servants because we all understand our sinfulness and our need for grace together. We can accomplish something together simply because we all understand that the platform is equal, and we all stand in the same plane needing the grace and the love of God. 
Nobody sees himself as higher than anyone else. We're all partakers of the grace. And if you are a partaker of grace, it means you've identified your need for grace. And it's that humility that allows us to be receivers of of the gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. And so without that, we miss it. We can't truly, completely be who we are supposed to be together. We are partakers together. Paul, in this letter, is making sure foundationally in the very beginning here that they understand with clarity who they are. We are servants, we're saints, we're partners, and we're partakers. Together, we become something beautiful and magnificent that God can use for his glory. So my prayer is that as we go through the the rest of this series, that you begin to understand with clarity who you are in Christ, what it is you're supposed to be doing, and how it is that we're going to be doing that together. Today, here's what I want you to think about. Who am I? I'm going to ask you if you'll stand with me. If you were to write a letter to somebody, how would you start the letter? How would you address the letter in your greeting? How would, you, how would you characterize the foundational truth that drives who you are as a human being? And do you truly understand this idea that, that I'm a servant first and everything else builds off of that? I'm a servant first and everything else builds off of that. So I, I began by talking to you about the different places that you all might be in, in your walk, in your faith journey. And here's what I want you to think about. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I want you to take a step forward today. Wherever you are on that spectrum, I want you to explore God a little bit deeper and a little bit further. I want you to dive in a little bit deeper. Maybe, maybe you get one of those books that I talked about in the Mission Spotlight. Maybe, maybe you set, up, set aside time this week that you're going to be intentional every single day that you're going to read the Bible. You're going to find something to read. If you don't know where to start in the Bible, come and find me. I'll help you with that. If, you, if you're struggling with some resources or how it is that I do go deeper, how do I understand more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, let me help you with that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to move towards Jesus today. I want you to move towards God today. I want you to leave the place that you are because if you're not moving, you're, you're stagnant. You're stagnant. Every one of us should be moving towards him. Every single one of us needs to take a step toward him today, wherever you are on that spectrum. Servant. Saint partner, partaker. Let all those things sink in to you and mold you and shape you in a deeper, more permanent way today to be more grounded in who Jesus is to you. If you need any help with any of this transition in your life, these transitions in your spiritual journey, you can come and find me as we sing. I'm going to be over here at the storyboard. You can find me after the service. You can email me, paulr at questfellowshipchurch.com. You can, you can come and find me during the office, some during the week. Just let me know. We'll try to work something out. We desperately want to help you and what God is doing in you so that he can do something amazing through you. Let's pray together. Father, we, we know that you have not called us to be people who are stagnant, people who, who don't move. Father, one of the greatest things about the gospel is that it doesn't leave us the way it finds us. And the gospel is transformative from the inside out. 
if we truly give ourselves to being a servant, Father, things begin to awaken in us that we never knew were there. And we, we can find peace, Father, where there was chaos before. Where there's anarchy, Father, we find order and structure. Where there was hopelessness, Father, we find hope. When we give ourselves to truly first be a, being a servant, and we find the, the beauty and the grace of, of being a saint, and we find the joy of joining in partnership with other believers for the mission of the church and the call of the church, and we understand all of that because we're partakers of the grace, and we understand that we all are in need of the grace that was offered us on the cross. Father, as we begin this journey together through the book of Philippians, I pray that people have already been moved and challenged by understanding who they are. And as we explore that even deeper, Father, I pray that you begin to work in their lives like like nothing else ever has to allow them to truly see, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, that you have something to do in them. Father, help us to be submissive to your will and your calling today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.